Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Justin Katchis. Justin, who do we have on the show today? Devna, you are in for a real treat. Today we have Stern alum and CEO of Resprana, Sophie Frank. Sophie graduated from Stern's undergraduate program in 2017 with concentrations in finance and economics, along with a minor in social entrepreneurship. She was also captain of the NYU soccer team and more recently completed her first Ironman. We're also excited to be joined in the studio by Lena Barkawi, a focused tech MBA here at Stern, who is our associate producer for today's episode. Lena, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us more about yourself? Yes, absolutely. I'm a new Sterny as of May in the new one-year tech MBA program, coming from an engineering background in consulting. I'm super excited to also join the Stern Chats team. Lena, we're so grateful for all your work on this episode. So tell us, how was it getting to know Sophie during this process? It was really fun. She is a great first interviewee with her energy and vision. It was so fascinating to learn how she turned an idea into the company Resprana. And not only that, but won the 300K Entrepreneur Challenge. Awesome. Melina, thank you so much for all of your hard work. We can't wait to learn more about Sophie. So Justin, what do you think? Should we get started? Let's stern up the volume. Cue that music. University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Justin Katchless. Today, we're thrilled to have NYU alum Sophie Frank with us today. Sophie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome back to Stern, Sophie. Before we jump in, can you give our listeners your 30-second pitch? My name is Sophie Frank. I grew up in the D.C. area, uh, came to NYU Stern to pursue business with a focus in thinking about how uh, our businesses impact the broader world and communities around us. And I was a goalie on the NYU women's soccer team. So I've always been um, an avid athlete and release most of my stress from whether it's the stern curve or running a business or whatever it may be um, from by staying active and being athletic. Um, and since graduating, I've moved to San Francisco where I've found uh, a great community and a, a lot of uh, sunshine, so enjoying that as well. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so we'd like to start at the beginning. You said you grew up in D.C. What was that like? What was your family? Kind of paint the picture for us there. Yeah, sure, sure. So I, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, um, went to public high school, like I said, was always very involved in athletics, um, was the kind of, um, I guess, overactive high school student that Stern typically attracts, captain of the debate team and many other nerdy facts. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I uh, have always really enjoyed um, working with uh, the communities I'm, I'm in. So uh, in really from the time that I was in primary school, being involved in environmental activism and uh, political activism and just trying to be as involved as possible in um, especially in the the world of the environment and uh, climate change. And I had an interesting kind of odd jobs throughout high school, including uh, building trails at uh, along the CNO Canal in Maryland. So, oh, yeah, I was a, a 
making trails for a summer. I, I've uh, done a lot of babysitting. So a lot of uh, different realm of professional experience before really seeing the business world when I started college. Where does this passion for activism come from, though? Is there someone in your family or someone that you just admired growing up that really inspired you at an early age? Yeah, definitely. So family, for sure. Uh, I think that my family has a unique positioning at the crux of being extremely politically involved and extremely involved in the community otherwise as well. So I was uh, raised by my mom and dad and stepmom and stepdad who all prioritized kind of their impact on community over the amount of money they made. And um, mm. my mom was uh, had many careers, but she was a special ed teacher for many years. My dad now works at ARP. He's been a speechwriter for uh, different um different organizations and institutions throughout his career. My stepmom was a journalist. My stepfather uh, is a photographer. So all of these different things that um, are definitely about showing the public the the true vision of what happens in a community and then participating and trying to be active. Um, and then my extended family was always very politically involved as well. So I think that it came naturally to me to uh, think about how I impacted the community around me and, and try to really engage as much as possible. There's definitely something around growing up in the D.C. area that I did, too, that you can't avoid it. It's like mm -hmm. literally in the water where definitely. either you care a lot about it or you want to be involved or you want to be part of the people reporting on it. So it definitely always, um, you know, is a circle of how people really get involved in that place, too. Yeah. And I think that I was raised to believe that no matter what my grades were, or how I succeeded in my athletics or whatever else I was doing, that at the end of the day, if I wasn't a nice person, then that would be what really made my parents worried about the way they were raising me. So I think that that was embedded in, in how I was raised. And it uh, it stuck with me as I continued to figure out exactly what that meant for where I took my career and um, my personal growth beyond uh, where I grew up. Well, I think that's a nice segue. How did you decide on Stern and New York? Yeah, sure. So um, I was looking at different schools where I could potentially play soccer. So that was definitely a factor. Um, I really got along well with the coach and team when I came on a visit here, and I, I was drawn to the soccer program. But it meshed extremely well with the appeal I had to Stern in particular. So I actually had an article cut out that was um, from the – uh, Center of Human Rights here, and I was learning about some of the work that and research that professors were doing that was specific to human rights, but around how business actually impacts um, the the way that humans are treated and how business can be framed in such a way that we actually think more broadly about that kind of impact. And I hadn't seen that anywhere else I was applying. And I knew literally from the time that I was like 10 and participated in the stock market game in elementary school that I wanted to go into business. And like I had this vision when I was 11 or 12 that I would wake up and get a Frappuccino from Starbucks <laughs> and then go to my investment banker job in the financial district in New York City. So I had this like very kind of, um, you know, 11-year-old skewed, but very, I guess, uh, maybe stern typical view of what my career would look like. And I had kind of an epiphany when I was maybe 15 that I actually did want to participate in the business world, but I also wanted to be someone who left a really positive impact on whatever sector I went into. So I navigated through what that meant in terms of being in the private, public, or nonprofit sector, um, starting from early high school. And when I saw that Stern had this beautiful marriage of all of the uh, 
business acumen that is so helpful in starting your career, but then also this attention to and priority on the uh, human rights and sustainability aspects of business, I knew that it would be a really good fit for me. So I'm curious, what would 11-year-old you say now, sitting here across the booth from us, talking about what's going on? <laughs> well, I think, like, 11-year-old me, like, pre-middle school was a pretty, like, peak confidence in myself. So <laughs> <laughs> probably, like... That's usually the opposite for most people. It's, like, the low point. Well, I, I, yeah. Braces. 12, yeah. 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 It's a mess. yeah, 12, 13, you know, then things start... Uh, peeling back a little. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Um, yeah, let's steer away from middle school. But um, I will say that I think 11-year-old me would be pretty happy with the way things turned out. Um, you know, I think that I, and and turned out makes it seem like so finite, whereas obviously in reality, I'm still on this journey figuring out exactly how I can make impact in, in the greatest way possible within um, the private sector. But I think that Overall, I've I've really navigated this uh, process pretty well, and I've had incredible resources from my family, as I mentioned, from Stern, as I mentioned, and the New York community, and now the SF community, where I, I really have been able to kind of find my niche and, and where I can contribute. You seem to be single-handedly focused on, like you said, on impact in business, but I'm curious why business and not like using law or public policy or public health to sort of fuel your goals? Yeah, definitely. So um, like I said, I have navigated that a good amount, trying to figure out where impact is um, most, uh, I guess, where it's strongest. And so I started thinking about this when I was in high school and thinking about, um, like I said, a politically involved family. I always knew that policy played some role. But in understanding exactly how policy gets made and exactly how um, nonprofit uh, organizations are able to make impact, I realized that with my exact skill sets and with understanding um, the increased flexibility but also um, power of the private sector and the power we have as consumers but also as participants in what goes on in business um, and in a private sense is, is really powerful and important. And also I found that um, this has been increasingly growing, but that when I was starting to engage in this these topics, that it wasn't actually common necessarily for a business to have such a heavy emphasis on um, CSR or responsible business. Um, and thinking about the way that businesses view these things now versus even 10 years ago is definitely a huge um a, a positive um, uptick in, in the way that they're paying attention to these things. So in studying at Stern, I was also a social entrepreneurship minor, and I navigated this kind of um, which sector is the most powerful in creating change question a lot. And it's not a clear answer, but I have found that the private sector has a lot of power, and I feel compelled to wield that power for, for positive, uh, for good. Interesting. That, that is always kind of a question of debate, whether uh, you can make more of a difference in the private sector versus the public sector. I'm curious, do you think you'll always be in the private sector? Do you think there is some kind of straddle that can go on between both? Do you think you'll move back and forth? Yeah, well, I think that um, what's most important to me and what I think is unfortunately somewhat rare is that there's more of an intersection between the different sectors and this absolute commitment to what goes on in um, public lives, but making sure that that's 
and it, with constituents, but making sure that that's prioritized not only for people running for public office, but also prioritized for companies. And you find that that's increasingly uh, true, but there's still kind of a lag in understanding this intersection. So I, th- I think that my goal overall is to um, help these two worlds collide in a more productive way. Um, and some of the work I did in college over one summer was in thinking about how the IBM Watson tool could be used by policymakers and also people on Wall Street to understand the um, Dodd-Frank Act and actually be able to interpret that um that legislation to a greater extent, and then be able to implement that policy directly into the way that they did business. So I found that bringing people into the room who were in both sectors and having them innovate together was extremely useful. Um, With that being said, may this be the first public announcement that I will someday run for mayor of some city. (laughs) Um, Uh, Not mayor. You've been escalated up to president. (laughs) I see like Sophie Prank 2030 happening over here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, not going to say the thought has never danced around my mind, (laughs) but I I truly like. So what I've also found is that uh, local government and uh, local policy is so, so important. And I've had this amazing experience of entering San Francisco at a time where um, the first female African-American mayor was elected to uh, run the San Francisco government. And she's an amazing woman who I admire a lot. And I think that just in seeing how someone can impact local community from that angle without being so um, driven by partisanship is definitely positive. But I I think that's down the line. And I, I really do like to live my life in a way where I set these hefty goals and then Things, of course, take a turn, but then it gives me something to work towards and (laughs) something to think about. I mean, we're not worried about you. You had way more figured out before (laughs) I could even drive. So (laughs) I think that you will be just fine yourself. Um, I'm curious about Stern. So you came to Stern. You 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 wanted to play soccer. You wanted to focus on business making impact. And then what happened once you were here? Yeah, sure. So uh, from the time you're a freshman at Stern undergrad, there is definitely a priority on this concept of what you do in business impacting communities around you. And Stern does really drive that home. And I think it was easy for a lot of freshmen entering their college careers who probably didn't know when they decided to come to Stern that that was something that the school focused on, whereas for me, it was really a driving factor. Um, So there was a lot of eye rolling going on in those classes, which is fine. And I think that um, that decreased over the years as the kind of curriculum continued. But I found that I was able to come into my own and find professors who really supported the ideas that I had in terms of making impact. So is there a particular professor that, that sticks out or a class that sticks out in your mind? Uh, yeah, well, Brian Hansen has been a good friend of mine and a great role model and um, an amazing professor. So he's he's really wonderful. And he um, was my um, my one of my professors freshman year. And so he definitely had navigated these things himself. And so seeing his journey was definitely helpful in understanding that it's possible and there is a way to have impact in multiple facets of your life um, and and not be a sellout in the business world, which uh, I have air Strong quotes. Strong words. <laughs> air quotes, air quotes, disclaimer. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, there there is a way to balance these things and that there's none of them are mutually exclusive. Um, and then I was also able to engage in one of the um, freshman year programs where you are able to take the time to work with a 
a cohort of maybe like 30 students um, and you ideate together, but you're really focusing on your idea and using the class curriculum to then move forward and um, build your business concept. So it's something that is meant to take place in the private sector, but that is meant to have positive community impact. So I was focused on ways to create public-private partnerships that would create jobs for Somali immigrants in Minneapolis. And it was an amazing learning experience. Um, And I actually ended up pivoting some and learning more about the many immigrant communities who come from Caribbean nations to uh, live in New York and interviewed some amazing women who do really impressive work here and, and learned about a few companies already in this field. So that was, I think, my kind of foray into going into the uh, social impact business kind of space um, and learning about the network that exists here and, and all of the resources. I'm curious, how do you think about impact on a community versus profits for a company? And how do you balance that as someone who runs their own business? Yeah, definitely. So um, excited to go into a bit of how we think about that at Responda and and how as CEO, I definitely prioritize that and hope to make that an embedded part of our mission. But I think overall, it's something that if you are committed to identifying the ways that those two things can go hand in hand from inception, then it's much easier. So um, you see that now there's... um, there's something called a B Corp where basically you're able to, mm-hmm. um, and then there's a formalized tax version and also a more informal uh, kind of certification, um, which is still formalized, but it's not um, from a legal standpoint. So this allows for companies to think about how they impact communities from everything, including their employees, their the way that they contribute to pollution. So everything about doing ethical business and um positive impact on the environment and all of these things um, on a scale of, um, you know, within their requirements. But I think that what I found through learning about some of those companies is that it's much easier when this is embedded in your inception and your mission from the start. And I think it's actually quite possible to not only um, drive profits, but to drive impact alongside that. And what I found... um, really stuck with me when I, one of the classes I took um, at Stern, we learned about the Indian economy throughout the year. And then we traveled to India in January as a class. And we focused a lot on how uh, private companies could create positive community impact. And one of the things that my professor said that really stuck with me was that if you created something for the um, entire country of India to benefit from, that's a sixth of the world's population. So even if you charged a dollar per product or, you know, you're, you had a, a dollar net profit, then you're a billionaire, right? So, like, that's obviously an extreme example and the business isn't necessarily so simplified, but it's it's a poignant idea because that is true that there are so many people in the world in need of resources that they don't currently have. Um, And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we are best suited to really do this work in the private sector. Um, Mohammed Yunus is someone who I've admired throughout my college years, and I actually ended up using a lot of his research as the basis for my thesis uh, senior year. But 
he has um, a really powerful book called The World of Three Zeros, where he goes into some of the intricacies of how the private sector is best suited to really uh, help communities. And a lot of it is also surrounding the fact that the empowerment that comes along with uh, creating an environment in which someone can be an entrepreneur and also see profits from the work they're doing versus just providing resources and dropping aid somewhere is actually really powerful and uh, can can go a lot further. So with Rasprana, was it this trip to India that inspired you, or how did you basically come up with this idea and, and start focusing on this vision? Yeah, yeah, so um, it's almost like I prompted you there. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what happened. So <laughs> we went to India with this class trip, um, and I spoke to people across the country. This is my first time in India. I had the opportunity to learn about and from people in all different kinds of uh, communities and parts of society in terms of geographic region, wealth, um, their kinds of work, everything. So I found that across all of these communities, one commonplace factor was that they were all suffering from the effects of air pollution. And yet no one I met was wearing a mask. And so I thought there had to be some gap existing, right? There's a huge problem that everyone's experiencing and there are solutions out there. Then why aren't the two um, fitting together in a better way? So I also observed the amazing, beautiful elements of um, the aesthetic of Indian culture. And I, I kind of fell in love with that. From a younger age, um, in studying um, Hinduism and Buddhism alongside my mom and stepdad, and also having kind of a, a deep interest in Indian culture from from a younger age as well, and I thought that there could be a way to bring together the beautiful aesthetic elements of Indian culture with a product that protected people against air pollution. That's a lofty, a lofty challenge and goal. So how did you do that? How did you connect those two things? Like you said, because yeah. people could wear a mask there. Um, but what, how did you basically go about creating and designing your product as well? Yeah, definitely. So what what we've now done is gotten to the root of what's uh, uh, what's detracting people from the existing products that are out there. So some of the key areas that people find are lacking in existing solutions. So with masks, for example. If someone's wearing a mask in a very hot place, it's obviously uncomfortable, but it also fogs up their glasses or their helmets when they're commuting to work on a motorbike or bicycle. There's the problem of communicating and eating and a lot of um, Indian life and other countries where pollution is uh, rampant. A lot of life exists in the streets and communicating and eating street food and all of these things, which is totally inhibited when you're wearing a mask. Um, and there's stigma against them. It's it, They're not seen as human. They're seen as people often associate masks with someone who's sick or um, they're wearing a mask for some other reason. So that's the those are many of the issues that people are currently finding with masks. And there are some other products where people have tried to innovate other solutions. But what we found is that none of these products actually put the customer first. They put the problem first, and we're trying to create a product that people are excited to wear rather than just creating something that will filter out dirty air. So we've put in a lot of time and effort into creating a design that we're really proud of. So everything from um, early stage just getting feedback on very basic prototypes to working in a 
a brainstorm session for a couple hours with some of the best design minds in, in New York City and focusing on what they thought really going back to the drawing board and seeing what we came up with. And we kept coming back to this idea of an in-nose product. And so that's what brought us to the product we have today. Um, and in the initial phases, I did often think about this product being something that's reminiscent of uh, nasal jewelry. And Today, we are focusing on a product that's a bit broader that could attract more users, but we see ourselves branching into different spaces. So whether that's creating products for people who are specifically working out or people who are trying to look um, for it to be kind of more of an ornament piece and, and look more um, like jewelry, then we're we're trying to figure out how we'll fit those different needs, um, but not focusing too much on those specific segments with our first product. That's incredible. So I want to just make sure we cover kind of all our bases here. You yeah. go to India, you identify <clears throat> this problem, right? You obviously have um, a lot of insight into it, but there's some resources at Stern, the 300K Entrepreneur Challenge, for instance, yeah, that yeah. kind of helps get this off the ground, this idea kind of definitely. moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, definitely. So um, let's see. So go to India, come back, chatting with a good friend, Andrea McDonald, who's one of my co-founders, and I said, you know, I have this idea. What if you could have an in-nose product that filtered air equally as well as a mask, but it actually looked beautiful? And I just kind of said it offhandedly, um, and we were eating it by Chloe, if you really want to set the scene. <laughs> I hear they we have like, great cookies. We, we like all the details, and we always love a good by Chloe moment, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We waited in line for about 15 minutes, like everything, right? So anyway, so we're sitting there, and, and uh, we're with a couple of our friends, too, and she said, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's do it. And so it was kind of cute and fun for a, a couple months, and we, we did some... Um, light research on a Google Doc and, and passed it back and forth and figured out what was existing and uh, how consumers responded to existing products and then what the pollution levels were like around the world and which cities are experiencing the worst pollution levels most consistently. Um, so so this was kind of the light research phase. And this was, I guess, our junior year yeah junior year as undergrads at stern and um the 300k competition starts in the fall so we had some time to do this light research phase um and then as we continued to see that there was real potential there we decided to enter the competition and the way that the competition is framed is very much trying to encourage anyone with an idea to participate anyone with passion for entrepreneurship to participate so those two worlds collide when they have a an opportunity to have kind of a meet and greet and a pitch event where those who have a company pitch to those who are looking to participate uh, but don't have a company. And so it brings together the skill sets that are existing and the kind of um, demand for those skill sets that are needed at the companies who intend to enter the competition. And that's where we found uh, the other three members of our initial uh, founding team who we went through the competition with. So we met Mika Steiger, who is an MBA alum from Stern. Uh, we met Sukanya Goswami, who is a, an alum from her master's at Tandon, and then Jay Rathor, who's also a, a, an alum from his master's at Tandon. And we came together in a really beautiful way, both as friends and colleagues, and had so much excitement and passion around what we were working on. And it was just easy to be together, and it was 
easy to spend late nights figuring out how to work on everything necessary for the competition. And the competition gave us this perfect structure to really start uh, the more formalized process of creating our company in a meaningful way. And so we really entered the competition with an idea and some rough sketches and uh, knowing kind of the need, but very little else. And so the it was a, a perfect environment to really to try to uh, take off. We even read that Mika, your co-founder, came to the 300K Challenge with her own idea and then basically was so inspired by you, decided to join Risprana. Yeah, so Mika came to the competition with his own idea, and he was, uh, and it was it was a good idea as well. <laughs> um, and he has worked at many startups throughout his career and has this entrepreneurial spirit that has been amazing as uh, one of our co-founders. And so I think that he was um, both inspired by Dre's pitch when she went to the um to the pitch event to find to find folks uh, to work with us and also uh, felt that there was a lot of power in, in what we were trying to do and, and saw that he would be a, a strong resource in helping us do so. So many entrepreneurs talk about how important it is to find the right partner. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to work with the partners that you found, particularly as an undergrad, uh, working with MBAs and with alumni? How is yeah. that dynamic? How was it at first? And then how has that kind of changed over the evolution of the company? Definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that I'm a natural born leader. I won't be shy to say that. And it's it felt natural to be a CEO. And I think people management is one of my greatest skills. So a lot of what I do day to day is like getting everyone on the same page and corralling the troops and getting everyone excited again and making sure that we're on the right track. And so I think that those things did come naturally to me to some extent. Um, it is interesting, I think, that if you think about it from age or from experience level, you know, it, it's nice that my team was never in question of my ability or my skills because I'm younger or haven't uh, had as much professional experience. I think that there's a really important level of trust that exists amongst our teammates and also that is necessary for any startup to be successful. And through the competition, we also were connected to an amazing community of um, investors and also uh, professionals who are familiar with the space we're going into to some extent, whether that's in creating hardware products or if that's in going into business in India or all of these different things. Um, and through one of the judges in a later round of the competition at Leganis, um, we met our now CTO, Mark Vivant, and he is a great asset to the team. He has a great amount of experience in his background in uh, working in design and also as an engineer and focusing on uh, real product development from the beginning through uh, go-to-market. And so when he was brought on, there was definitely, there's a risk in bringing on anyone that your team won't adapt well, but there was this real seamless integration into knowing that everything we're doing is in the best interest of, of us trying to be successful as a company. And we all believe in that so much that we try to put egos aside. And, and that's been huge for us. 
I'm curious, you talked about people management. And so I'm curious about if you have a philosophy of how you manage people in your life. It sounds like such a B-school thing to say. But to be <laughs> totally fair, when I think when you come to CERN, any other undergrad or business school program, you have to learn how to manage the people that you spend your time with around you, but oh, also yeah. people who are that you care about outside of the school as well. So I'm curious how you balance that and what is your philosophy for managing relationships and people in your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, and by no means will I claim to be a master of that. <laughs> but I think that I'm an extremely empathetic person and compassionate person. And I think that helps a lot because I am very um, emotionally tied to everyone I meet, really. <laughs> and I think that uh, that's also what contributes to my dedication to creating this kind of um, business centered on impact as well. And so I found that by seeing really what people will feel in the human side of things and trying to understand um, how people will react and respond based on my own knowledge of the human mind. And I mean, just an experience with trying to just be compassionate, I think is hugely helpful. What I've really had to hone in on, um, both in my role at Resprana and now as a young professional in consulting, is the ability to be stern and strict and <laughs> bring out the best um, performance in people. And I'd say that some of that also comes from uh, my experience as a captain on the soccer team and as a goalie. I think there's a real need to set very high expectations of people and, and when you know that they can perform that way. And I think that that's something that I've had to practice over the years, but I've gotten pretty good at telling people what I need from them and giving feedback that's candid without being a jerk. And um, I think it's something that I can always improve on, but it's it's a really important thing. And I think if you look at some of the most successful CEOs of the world, they're not always going to be the kind of people you want to get a beer with necessarily. So I'm trying to be the CEO who is great to get a beer with, but also will tell you exactly what's needed and uh, kick your butt into action. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, what happens when someone doesn't meet your high expectations? And how do you handle that situation? Yeah, sure. So um, it really depends, I think, it, on how repeated the practice is. And so I've tried to be very candid with my team, especially on explaining what's expected. And then a lot of the communication I've found is necessary up front. So sometimes it's a failure on my own, um, of my own and not communicating what I was expecting and not really setting that bar high enough. Um, and so what I've found is that one, the upfront communication is really important, but also that ability to um, forgive while also saying that it's unacceptable is really important. So what we, I think our best practice at Resprana is we set the best example for each other. So when I sh see that a team member is, is demonstrating that they don't care as much or they're not really making the sacrifices necessary for us to be successful, I'll call them out privately um, and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation and try to understand why that's happening. And then also tell them how important it is that the team is seeing that everyone else is equally as committed and willing to sacrifice uh, for our business as they are. And so I think that being able to have those one-on-one -on -one connections and not only reach out to people when I'm mad at them, but also keep in touch with people and make sure that we are all maintaining that important um, human connection as well as what we're doing business-wise is really essential. Mm -hmm. It seems like you have a lot on your shoulders and you've taken a lot of ownership, mm. not only of your company, but also managing the relationships within that company uh, and, and across your team. 
Do you find it lonely as an entrepreneur sometimes where you have to kind of make all these decisions uh, and be stern with people? And, you know, is that a challenge that you that you face? No, I wouldn't say so. I have had the benefit of having a great community of support outside of the company as well and a lot of other entrepreneurs who I've become really close with where we can share stories and understand kind of what's normal or like what seems abnormal and more air quotes yeah more air <laughs> quotes um and figuring out exactly how to navigate some of the situations that arise so I don't think that it's lonely when you feel that uh, you have all of these other networks of entrepreneurs along your side. And especially in San Francisco, I've found um, a lot of great networks in, in that way. Uh, beyond that, I think that because I am actively involved in many, many other things beyond Respona, I, I never feel lonely. I don't really have time to feel lonely, I guess. Um, and I'm such a social human that um, I thrive off of the, you know, ability to work alongside my team. And, and um, I think all the other stuff is just part of the job. And, and uh, it's, I, I find that I'm pretty good at those elements of it. So it's, uh, it's manageable. <laughs> this is always my favorite question, but how did you choose the name of your company? Yeah, so I, I love the name of our company. Respirana is a mix of two different words, respire, like breathing, um, and prana, which means life breath in Sanskrit. And mm -hmm. so it felt fitting that um, what is so essential about what we're doing is not just that we're trying to create a beautiful product that's cool and trendy that people want to wear. But when you think about it, breathing is the essence of life. And as cheesy as that sounds, I mean, it's it's really true in this uh deep connection to really trying to create something that makes people's lives better on the whole, um, but also something that is simply uh, beautiful and the word almost sounds like a breath of fresh air. And so it felt really fitting. I've been very impressed by everything that you have said, <laughs> how poised you are, how you seem to have an answer for everything. We're really struggling over here in comparison to you. And <laughs> Not just... at all. So my question is, what are you not good at? What challenges <laughs> you, right? It's not people management. It's not leadership, right? You've started your own company. Not soccer. It's not soccer. <laughs> what is it that challenges you that you feel you can improve on? Yeah, well, I mean, so there are definite elements in everything that I've seemed so confident about. And it's it's kind of funny to me that I've given off this air that I've, like, got it all together because I'm also kind of a mess. Like I usually show up like a minute late and like, Oh no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just one minute late. The humanity. That's your staff. That's, that's their problem, not yours. <laughs> the meeting starts when Sophie gets yeah. there. No, no, no. Well, I mean, so, so I do still, um, intend to improve on my ability to really give candid feedback and be stern and, and make sure that I'm not always, um, letting, well, I don't know. I mean, so to some extent, right, I, I think that it works to my benefit that I'm a very emotional, empathetic, compassionate person. Um, but it can get in the way sometimes. It can be more complicated. And sometimes business decisions are hard and you have to be serious and uh, just do it because business is business. But I do pretty strongly believe that that's not always necessary. So so anyway, that was a terrible answer to that question. Um, what am I not good at? Um, I'm not very good at being in one place at once. I pack my schedule very, very tightly, and I'm always running around. And so I think that sometimes that's um, to the avail of the people I love most, and I am 
sometimes having to check myself to make sure that I'm giving people the full attention they deserve. And so um, that comes into play sometimes with work and with Rasprana and with my family and my friends and my boyfriend and all of these things. Um, but I, I think it's manageable. <laughs> what are some of the things in your toolkit that make you so good at what you're good at? Um, or even just keep you like grounded because yeah. you have so much going on all the time. Yeah, well, so working out is huge. Um, I, like, have very strange ways of motivating myself when I'm working out. Like, sometimes I'll listen to songs that are, like, more thought-provoking rather than, like, heavy rap or EDM. I'll listen to, like, very calming music, and I, like, get into this, like, headspace of thinking about the world and, like, how I can <laughs> create positive impact, and that's what, like... So you're not listening to Kanye West on the way to a meeting like I do. Maybe I should change my approach. Sometimes, 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 but <laughs> I definitely, I definitely operate at, like, a, a lower level of, like, um, excitement in some way, so I, yeah, so I, I try to practice meditation, I um, try to really focus on um, endurance sports where I'm really present-minded while I'm practicing those things. Um, spend a lot of time in nature and just expressing gratitude for the world. So <laughs> You mentioned yeah. Headspace. Do you meditate on a regular basis? Yeah, so I, I meditate. Um, it depends on what time of my life it is, but I've brought meditation practice um, into my life. Really, I've been practicing meditation since I was a kid. I was a really anxious kid and I would meditate. My mom introduced me to meditation when I was like probably five or something. So I've really been meditating in some capacity throughout my life and uh, it takes many different forms. But right now I'm often commuting to South Bay from San Francisco. So I'm on a train for 50 minutes every morning and every evening. And so I try to use that time to um, set aside some calm for myself and, and some some deep breathing. <laughs> so, so right now I, I try to like several times a week, probably four times a week. That's awesome. It's so important to take care of yourself, especially your, your you know, especially being mindful. Um, so let's get back to Rasprana. Yeah. You yeah. end up winning the 300K challenge. Yes. Yeah. And at that point, uh, is, is Rasprana just an idea? Is it a product? What happens next and, and where is it today? Yeah, sure. So so this was in 2017. Uh, we won the, the new venture competition um, and we also won best pitch and uh, like audience choice. And it was a whirlwind of excitement and emotions of wow, we did this, we put in a hell of a lot of effort, and the outcome is really, really good, and we can do this. And it was that vote of confidence that we needed to continue the work we were doing. So we were well aware that we weren't able yet to launch our product, uh, nor to fully fundraise. And so we all continued working full-time and making Rasprana a priority um, to continue nourishing as we paid the bills <laughs> if you will so so that part is important <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 a uh, necessary evil i guess <laughs> so we at the point of um winning the competition we had a prototype that we liked a lot um and it was not yet a working prototype it was a design prototype and we ha really have put design at the epicenter of everything we do um because that is so important to us and we want the consumer experience to be so positive um we had a definitely a strong sense of where we would go in terms of um, customer adoption and market penetration um, and what our business model would look like. But 
with the knowledge that these things could evolve. And so we still didn't know where we would manufacture exactly. We didn't know um, the specific materials we would necessarily use. So we had a lot of information and research and proof of concept to enough to um, continue what we were doing. But over the course of that summer, I was actually biking across the country, so I wasn't... Is there something that you haven't done? <laughs> I can't anymore. I'm just giving up. I, I barely got to this interview on time. Um, so I was not always readily available to be on calls. I took a lot of calls from gas stations in the middle of nowhere, like Kansas and Oklahoma and such. Um, but No offense to our listeners in Kansas and Oklahoma. No, no. I mean, beautiful, beautiful places. That summer was a bit difficult because I was biking across the country and it was coming off the high of winning and all of these things. So uh, next step was that we needed to um, actually become a company and incorporate, which we hadn't yet done. So that took a lot of um, phone calls, really hashing it out amongst team members, figuring out what equity would look like and figuring out what kind of corporation incorporation we wanted to pursue and all of those elements. So. That takes us to the end of summer 2017, and then I moved to San Francisco, and things kind of pick up um, on a different pace, and I'm having a lot of meetings with figuring out a new network there and everything. Um, we're bringing Mark on in a more serious way, and so we're, we're kind of getting our footing and figuring out this new phase of Resprana. Um, and then kind of maybe a month or two later, it was a wake-up call that I needed to restructure things a bit and create more... Um, structure and commitment and make sure that we were more consistent in the way that we were interacting as a company and, and that would drive our progress more. And so we buckled down a bit more, figured out um, many things along those several months and that we just hadn't yet um, nailed down like how we would present ourselves as a brand and all of these things. So then we get to the point of 2018 and we start continuing and, and nailing down more on the design and the um, way that we would manufacture our product, and Mark has been instrumental in that process. And so to date, um, we now have a manufacturing partner in China. We've iterated and innovated a lot on what our product looks like and have been able to um, officially file one design patent, work on several other patents now, um, been able to trademark our name and logo, all of these things that kind of add intrinsic value to the company, but then also working on the actual development of our product and now getting to the point where it really feels like it's within reach of when we would pilot. And so we're looking at hopefully getting some um, more of like working samples of what our final product will look like most realistically um, in the coming months. Uh, we're working with a manufacturer in China. The Chinese New Year and uh, holidays in January and February put some delay. So if we don't get it uh, completed by December, it may be more in March, but looking for uh, really going forward with a full pilot um, in early 2019 and then launching more at scale in late 2019 with our first product. Was moving to San Francisco important for Respondent's growth or is the environment in, in, for the startup scene in New York and San Francisco different enough that you felt you needed to move there to get more support for your vision? I wouldn't say it was um, a necessary move in that sense. I knew I wanted to. So from a selfish perspective, mm -hmm. I knew that some part of me wanted to move to San Francisco. Going back to like the young, ambitious, um, <laughs> probably too much for her own good child, Sophie, I decided I wanted to go to Stanford when I was five years old, maybe six. Um, 
didn't even end I up couldn't applying. I could not even say Stanford when I was five or like know that it existed. This has been a very humbling interview. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do over here. No, 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 no. I, I really was just a strange child with I'm going to start eating these three musketeers to make myself feel better. Um, and so I never even ended up applying to Stanford even after writing a full application. And there are many factors for that, uh, many reasons behind that. But I still felt this draw to moving to the Bay Area uh, throughout my life and then felt that after college was the perfect time. I'd had my fun in New York, and as much as I love this city, I knew I needed a new experience and um, more trees, and so decided to move to San Francisco, and that was definitely not independent of the opportunities it would allow for us for Risperona, but it was also um, mostly for personal reasons. And then with Risperona, I found that having a network on both coasts has been really beneficial, and being able to partake in that um, entrepreneur community that I was mentioning earlier that exists in San Francisco, maybe to a slightly greater extent than in New York, has been really beneficial for me personally, professionally, and for our company as well. So you mentioned the network uh, and companies and entrepreneurs that you interact with. Is there a company in particular or companies or people or entrepreneurs that you admire, that you look up to when you think about your future and Risperana's future? Yeah. So um, I have had the opportunity to meet the founder of Cora, which is a tampon company, and they have a really interesting business model of um, creating a user base that's both for people who are just looking to have better tampons that are better for the, the female body, but also also partnering with different countries um, in uh the developing world and finding those partnerships in a really meaningful way and not just going forth and trying to drop aid places, but really partnering in a meaningful way and finding um, organizations where their mission is deeply aligned with what they're doing at Cora. And so um, having the opportunity to meet with Molly was really powerful and hearing a bit about her experience and what she does to make sure that her growth as a company is never sacrificing the positive impact they're having. So so that's been really beneficial. And then um, at Stern, we are always deeply uh, connected and speaking with the founder of Ephemeral, uh, Josh Sakai, who had won the 300K in past year. So it was great hearing about his experience and hearing about how their company navigates some of the issues that we run into as well. So those are a couple uh, top-of-mind entrepreneurs who have been helpful in me navigating our journey as Ris- at Risperana. But there are many, many other people um, who, you know, I could go on forever listing names of those who have provided experience from their experience as entrepreneurs, although maybe their companies are extremely different from ours, but mm. they have a, a commonplace experience of navigating fundraising and and all of the intricacies of starting your own company and what that means for you personally. So definitely very grateful for those. That's incredible. One of the things that I picked up when you were talking about Cora was how they were handling reaching out to different countries and making an impact in different countries. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, where do you think Respirana can have the biggest impact? And maybe where do you think about launching it first? Yeah, so uh, those are two distinct questions, I think, and it's important for us to think about where we'll launch first versus the global impact we can have. So in um, as, as I've mentioned, our initial um, real inspiration came from India, although we have identified that there may be other markets that are most beneficial for us to start in. So for our pilot program, we'll partner with 
likely uh, study abroad programs from the U.S. going abroad to polluted areas for limited stints of time. Um, and so that will be enough uh, value and um, uh, proof of concept for us to then move forward with manufacturing more at scale. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah. I just got back from China. Oh, really? Uh, with a Stern program? Or yes, with a Stern program. Oh, there's, yeah. there's like a DBI doing business in program. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a shock to me when I got there. And I think almost everyone on the trip developed some sort of cough yeah. over the course of two weeks. Yeah, so exactly. That actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Were you in Beijing or Shanghai? Or? Both. Yeah, yeah. A week in each. Yeah, exactly. So we've identified that the current uh, study abroad site in NYU Shanghai actually provides a uh, mask to each of the participants coming from NYU New York. And 75% of the students we interviewed in relation to that <laughs> mask said that they did not use it at all. And so even though students know that it can have a harmful effect and even though they can literally feel it, it's still not worth wearing the mask. And so we feel that we could definitely have an opportunity there. Um, You've got one customer in me. Awesome. <laughs> Love to hear that. Um, so beyond that, definitely we've identified there are certain countries where this is most consistently felt, including um, Mexico, China, India, um, the UK. London has had really bad pollution recently as well. And then there are limited uh, use cases in the U.S., like I was mentioning Salt Lake City, and then th when there are forest fires um, in the southeast U.S. or in, on the west coast, there's a lot of ambient air pollution that results from that. So we're identifying how we can fit different segments in that way, but definitely looking for an international launch um, when we manufacture more at scale, and uh, China would be one of the first areas we look at, one of the first countries we look at. That's so cool. What's personally next for you? I was going to ask if you would ever come back to Stern or Stanford for your MBA. <laughs> but I feel like we just set the bar higher of like, maybe one day you'll come and teach at Stern and, or teach at Stanford. But I'm curious about um, is in your education or in your pro professional life, is there's more that you want to do? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, right now my sights are set on um, figuring out how to launch Resprana in a meaningful way and really uh, create the most impact possible with the company and really launch fully. Um, and professionally overall, I think that I see myself as being involved in the private sector in, in many different ways. I've um, always felt drawn to being uh, involved in strategy around uh, global impact at like a large company, like uh, for some reason was, well, I guess not for some reason, but I was really drawn to working at Samsung when I was in high school because one of my best friends was a North Korean refugee and um, I was doing work with him on uh, the refugee crisis from North Korea. And so I found that I maybe could continue that work and working in South Korea and Samsung has a really interesting kind of global strategy wing. So this is just an idea. But essentially, I see myself in continuing to grow in, in that way and having more exposure to how to make impact in the private sector and would be interested in going back to get an MBA at some point, possibly. Um, definitely would be hoping that it was a program that was more focused on something that's uh, unique and definitely distinctly different from my experience as an undergrad at Stern, so a little less finance-based, maybe more management-based or more specific to social entrepreneurship or maybe public policy. So uh, not sure exactly what that would look like. But yeah, I think in the near term, figuring out how to um, create uh, scale and impact with Resprana and also 
um, continue my pro- professional and personal development and then don't forget about the mayor situation. No, president. <laughs> president Frank. Well, anywhere you decide to go, we'll be very lucky to have you. Uh, as we kind of wind down the interview, is there any advice you have for people listening? Is there anyone you want to say anything to? <laughs> oh, man. This is like such a grand opportunity. Listen, to... open mic night here at Stone Chats. <laughs> um, that reminds me of my... Well, no, never mind. <laughs> um, I mean... I'm so grateful to so many people who have allowed me to perform as I have and uh, create this journey for myself and, of course, my family, my sister, um, my parents, and and everyone who supports me to date, family and friends alike. Um, But I think, so in terms of advice, I think that you, uh, everyone has, like, a deep desire to... um, make some sort of waves or impact. And sometimes that's really large scale. Sometimes that's small scale. Sometimes it's just um, creating impact on whatever very specific thing they're working on. But I think that we're sometimes limited by our inability to recognize the the fact that we can really branch beyond what we're currently experiencing. And so I really encourage anyone listening to envision what's possible without yearning for it or feeling like it's something that they um, they want in like a kind of materialistic way, but in the way that it's definitely possible and that um, any small step towards that goal is, is a, a really positive step to make. So take the plunge, do it. There's, there's no holding back um, when you can envision yourself in, in that in that role of impact. It reminds me of something I read recently that says, even if you just take the smallest step towards a goal, you'll be way ahead of most people. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So true. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. We are so inspired and moved by your story. We know that we'll see even better things for you in the future. And we look forward to visiting the White House when you're there one day. (laughs) I hope you'll remember us. You heard it here first. Sophie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.